And welcoming back to the show, ladies and gents, got salt-tired popcorn film buff himself, <laughs> Kevin Matthews is back on the show. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. How are you? Anytime, anytime. And so, once again, I, Cam, your host, is going to just be tackling a very sometimes divisive and just outrageous filmmaker, you know, just the second, as you can say, probably coming of uh, Sam Raimi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he has done it all. He has, again, you know him uh, just for his outrageous uh, genre mashups, just action horror comedies. Uh, he's a New Zealand filmmaker. He's married to his uh, screenwriting uh, partner, Fran Walsh. He's overseen special effects and even done acting cameos. But uh, yes, uh, those. Uh, so in New Zealand, he premiered with the Alien Body Snatching uh, Comedy Fest, Bad Taste, the Sesame Street, you know, Adult Swim Predictor, Meet the Feebles, and even more gory mayhem in Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead. And he followed it up with, uh, again, just uh, the true crime film, Heavenly Creatures, the horror ghost comedy the frighteners and then uh really made a splash with the lord of the rings trilogy and the hobbit prequels and and from this point on he he has just continually just surprised audiences done stuff here and there produced co-written presented <laughs> um lord of the rings was also you know the first installment was uh, selected by the Library of Congress to be culturally significant, and he followed it up with the 2005 remake of King Kong, the fantasy book adaptation The Lovely Bones, and co-wrote and co-produced uh, uh, The Mortal Engines, and right now his, you know, five-hour Beatle documentary, you know, uh, on the Beatles' uh, Get Back is, again, you know, <laughs> eating up space on Disney Plus and uh, we will admit neither of us have seen it we've just seen clips and you know, just in depth we, we just have not made 12 hours you know <laughs> to see this but we, we are going to get into just why uh, where this person's place is in pop culture why they appeal to said pop culture and why what's their signature style and why did so many of these movies just resonate with us or with audiences? So thank you once again, Kevin, for being on here. <laughs> no problem. Any. Okay. So, uh, what, what, what was your intro to Mr. Jackson? <laughs> I think, uh, here in the UK, um, I mean, I saw, I managed to stumble across actually, uh, on VHS bad taste. And it famously had the cover with the alien holding a gun and giving the finger. So Bad Taste was there, but somehow it already had, if I remember right, that famous trailer for Brain Dead, Dead Alive, where there was a joke aspect of it, where it was saying, hold, uh, cover one eye, and you know mm -hmm. it, you, you won't see any anything horrific. Or cover right. the other eye, and you'll see all the blood and gore. <laughs> uh, obviously, I didn't cover. It's a great, so I'm like, okay, this. So it was bad taste. 
two brain dead in that order and from that double bill I mean I was immediately a massive Peter Jackson fan I didn't even realise watching at the time you know how little really he had to work with on bad taste and then brain dead Dead Alive was such a, a huge step up. I think didn't it hold the record maybe until the Evil Dead remake for the most amount of fake blood from about for Dead Alive. Um, I think so. Because he and Sam Raimi were from the same camp of just do it yeah. yourself, shoot it with some friends, get a distribution deal in place. Even though you get screwed over overseas, you make more money on it. You know, years after the fact on cable TV airings and. Uh, again, you know, uh, Jackson had an interesting backdrop in that, he, you know, he had seen Dawn of the Dead growing up, you know, George Romero and like Raimi, he was inspired to do that same kind of movie. Uh, he was also big into Doctor Who, fun little known fact. So he would always try and, uh, you know, sneak in some names to those kind of wacky movies and shows. Um uh, but yeah, he, he himself admitted it's like when he saw the original Dawn of the Dead, he's like he felt a bit sick and amazed at the same time. So. <laughs> uh, he's been listed as on Entertainment Weekly's as the 50 smartest people in Hollywood and the uh, most powerful man in America in an 05 take for Premier Magazine. <laughs> it's like man, uh, and he's kept on that ranking. But yeah, with he, he just took it in, uh, you know, spaces, but it is wild how, like, de- you know, Dead Alive and Bad Taste have just kind of done the rounds on TV, been re-released under multiple different names, you know, over the years on, you know, movie channels. And uh, much like Raimi, he was one of those where they would forget that he had done it just so low budget and it just looked bigger than it was. And so yeah. that's pretty much where he achieved his whole realm and then when he did, um, uh, you know, the Frighteners, I, you know, that was the first one I saw, you know, I, you know, Lord of the Rings had just swept us, you know, in the 2000s. And so everyone was paying attention to what he had to do. But yeah, when I saw Frighteners, that was pretty cool. Cause it was like, okay, wow. So here, here's another off color movie that was meant to be like an episode of Tales from the Crypt. And yet it became a wacky, you know, you know, theatrically released, uh, movie with, you know, atypical plotting and just bizarre comedy and wacky characters. And, um, but, but yeah, then, you know, I I did follow what he was always doing. He was just always in like every other, like Hollywood reporter entertainment weekly interview, just teasing ideas in Hollywood and people were listening to him and somehow he just knew how to talk bank and guarantee everyone that, you know, I can do any kind of movie whether it's PT or, you know, R, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, but yeah, it is so wild how Dead Alive got picked up by New Line Cinema, and that's what, you know, that was a surprise success, so that's what gave him the Lord of the Rings gig. And I, I think, you know, people constantly, I think, uh, really kind of underestimate the impact as well of the Frighteners, because I'm pretty sure that's where Wita started, yeah, and uh, one, of, one of the characters, yeah, characters uh, is almost just a ring wraith floating around. The thing. Uh, Frighteners is a great movie and really important in his photography. Totally, and people are always rediscovering mockumentaries and 
you know, short films he did. He, uh, so, yeah, he's kind of. It, he's not just in like the fantasy and the horror, uh, you know, fan base. He's kind of also just kind of a comedic guy in a way. So everyone just wants to hear what he has to say and what he'll do. And he's produced music concerts. And like you say, you know, he had that effects expertise behind the scenes and. Uh, I, I really am more impressed when I see Weta attached to a project because I know they're going to try and make it bigger than life. And I, I loved how he get, helped give this effects space guy artist, uh, Neil Blomkamp, a uh, foot in the door. He was doing like effects for like A-list TV shows in America and Canada. And, you know, he helps put in a word for him and allows, you know, District, District 9 to be made. And you know, again, contributes his effects company to it. And uh, here's some fun trivia that does not get talked about much. So he was, uh, if you're ready for this, he, you know, again, you know, Dead Alive and Bad Taste were such a big deal and being seen that he was kind of like Stephen Hopkins and uh, Rennie Harlan and even, uh, oh, what, what? Anthony Hickox, you know, just being attached as, you know, whatever horror franchise we got coming out, we need you to be the sequel guy. And uh, so he he was attached to Alien 4, uh, even sci-fi like Star Wars The Force Awakens, um, and uh, as well as, uh, again, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 6, Freddy's Dead, Freddy vs. Jason, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, Exorcist, The Beginning Prequel, uh, Halloween, I think it was four or five, Curse of Mike Myers, uh, Hellraiser Free, Child's Play Free, and Texas Chainsaw Free. So, yeah, it's just every other Paramount, New Line Cinema guy was just wanting to hire him, and he passed on all of them. And I'm kind of cool with that. I, I like it when people don't have to just kind of come in late in the ga- game and have to establish themselves as just a sequel guy and a competent filmmaker. He was even asked to almost helm the... 2001 Planet of the Apes. Let's be glad he passed on that one. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> I am. Um, was it the same sort of release date schedule over there? Because the Lord of the Rings movies were generally kind of start of December over here. Mm-hmm. That's good. So. They were my birth. You're breaking up. No, sorry. I'm not, yeah, not agreeing. Okay. Uh, try closing out other apps if you can. Okay. Let's see if there's anything else. But yeah, he also owns Wingnut Films and Freefoot 6. Uh, he got eye surgery during the making of uh, King Kong, which I thought was cool. And um, overall, he's also stated that his favorite movies are The General by Buster Keaton, the original King Kong, hence why he did the remake, Jaws, and Goodfellas. I'm like, that's interesting because most everyone else often goes for something like way bigger, like, you know, classic musicals or comedies. <laughs> he's kind of more in just like, very specific crowd pleasers. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but they also all have like a lot of technique in there. So it's um right. it's what appeals to him is that sort of melding of the the great technique and the cinema magic. Yep. And he is tied with nine directors to have one best picture, best director, and best screenplay, you know, original or adapted for the same movie. That ties in with Billy Wilder, Leo McCary, Francis Ford Coppola, James L. Brooks, and the Coen brothers. So I think that's pretty cool. There's two others, but who cares? Um, uh, uh, but he even described the production of Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy, because everyone forgets he started in like 97 and it came out, you know, finally three years later. You know, mm-hmm. And he described it all as just one giant, you know, example of laying the tracks down in front of the train as it was moving forward <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but yeah i mean so why do you think he shares that kind of you know sam raimi audience of you know doing free movies back to back that are wacky mixed in with again just being asked to helm a giant documentary or some other giant epic post lord of the rings <laughs> I think it's just the, the sort of the way they both are as people who've, I mean, if they didn't get the budgets and the studio backing, you know that they would still spend as much of their free time as possible making little movies in their backyards with friends. For sure. So, so that's where it starts for them with that overwhelming urge to just make those little bits of movie magic and then to get the backing and stuff as well i i think he maybe it's not necessarily quid pro quo but he mixes it up a bit uh for for reasons that i think do appeal to him in terms of the archival material he gets to work through as well and he knows about the value of film preservation that's very well said because Unlike most people who do just effects, you know, he's just the creative guy who directs the actors and, uh, you know, uh, but but he does more than that. He does actually, you know, do more than just storyboarding and explain how he likes it and takes all the credit. He's actually, you know, again, getting with his effects artists, seeing how they can edit it and shoot it ahead of time. Mm. And so, you know, that he does deserve a lot of credit for that, I think, compared so, I mean, it made sense why he did kind of have a similar George Lucas, you know, background and just make up your own effects company instead of hiring people who you may or may not, you know, get along with. And you got to explain what you want is like, no, I'll make it from the ground up. You know, I'm only been doing it, you know, with all my <laughs> movies all these years, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I think there's a real sort of better sensibility with people like that who have made things with blood, sweat and tears and then get all this money and these resources, but they still look at, like they'll still consider all the lo-fi options as well. A lot of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit was just a forced perspective and the sets and the practical work with the CGI, whereas someone else might have just done the whole thing green screen throughout and that would have been it uh, but they you know, haven't I'm, been I'm able to figure it out since it's yeah. like 
it only seems to work as a TV show because same thing with comic books. You got to basically you, you need a ton of time. Other, and otherwise, again, everyone's just expecting a Goodfellas style narration or a Star Wars opening, you know, battle and scroll is like, no, it's just it's all been done. So what can you do that just really grabs people? And obviously, you know, political climates and international appeal is changing so now it's a matter of what can you do that is kind of a cool throwback to an earlier movie what can you do that really had a lot of careful thought and planning that got went into it it's not any easier now that again people still want practical effects but they got to be able to justify the budget and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes with it because since now that everything's digital you know Mm. just to save costs and is like, well, what what is everyone going to do that's going to really stand out from this point forward? And uh, I, I'm really taken back by how, again, you know, just his humor just often flies. He has all kinds of different humor. He'll, you know, even when you're watching Lord of the Rings, you're still seeing some of his same kind of gory gags that he kind of sneaks in. So, I mean, again, yeah, guys, we he literally is the New Zealand Sam Raimi. They, they're literally one half of the same coin, you know? <laughs> And, uh, but, you know, I'm, I wasn't surprised when I saw that he had directed reshoots of the adventures of Tintin, you know, with, uh, Spielberg and company. Cause I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Cause they both had announced for years that they were fans and they both wanted to make it. So, <laughs> yeah, which, which is another film I really enjoyed actually. I know it was Spielberg, but I then, had to wait for a sequel that I don't know if it's ever coming along now. It probably isn't. And I think everyone got really pissed off with how post Avatar, the Academy Awards just reared their ugly heads and showed what dipshits they were and how they couldn't tell the difference. Like they refused to acknowledge that or Avatar as animation. It's like, oh, it's totally animated. <laughs> mm. Just because it mixes in live action doesn't mean it's any less animated. It's still a half animated movie, you know actors and, and you see video games again embracing they'll kind of go for kind of again like you say uh, evil dead or bad taste kind of characters and then they'll do a lord of the rings type opening or again you know post avatar and tintin that there's been an increase in actors actually being inside you know against a giant green screen you know, studio with dots on their faces so that the characters they're voicing actually look like the actors. And so we've come a long way since, you know, all the various Star Wars movies doing the whole just closed off film sets and all green screen. Now it's to where uh, everyone can do all kinds of different things without having to worry about what everything looks like, how it's pre-visualized and uh, I, I hope they can continue instead of continually hiring people who aren't well versed at all you know with certain kinds of genres so <laughs> oh yeah again the jackson helped with that because andy circus played as pivotal a role as anyone in lord of the rings and king kong and that yeah, you could say that, that was a stepping stone towards you know the the new planet of the apes movies and so many uh yeah well, what, performances uh, well, and they even follow the same kind of story structure as Lord of the Rings. Is like, okay, we're going to take a pretty popular, you know, thing that's been a book. It's even been a few movies uh, to various degrees of success. But here, you know, we're going to do 
more modern day. We're going to do uh, it basically. Yeah, here's how it, you know, the ape takeover happened. Here's what happened during the apocalypse. And then here's the final stand of the apes. And it's like that was just, again, like you say, just very well thought out. And again, the effects told the story, you know. And so uh, it is really cool that, you know, it's not just Pixar that understands that, you know, and unfortunately, you know, we've seen so many other animation and, uh, you know, big budget blockbusters that, you know, producers are just by default going to be in love with it because they're like, hey, I want to produce more of what everyone else, you know, has loved and which has made money. I'm like, yeah, but again, it doesn't mean anything if the story sucks. So it has been great to see him be heavily involved in, like you say, just doing miniatures, doing various props, you know, overseeing his effects company, ensuring that they are given the best of the best, you know, technology available. And like you say, just writing and making sure that, you know, even when he reuses his actors, he makes sure to give them a totally different role instead of just, you know, hey, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to use you in every movie we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, And honestly, he could call, be retired the next day, and that would be okay, because he's, he's already done a diverse filmography, and uh, occasionally I will see people who don't, who didn't care for his horror comedies growing up, or liked his horror comedies, but didn't always found Lord of the Rings overrated and I think that's okay he's done so much diverse material at different stages of his life I, you know he's good to go and any movie I've seen of his like I was disappointed by the Lo lovely bones but I don't I would hardly say it's a terrible movie it's just kind of more of an average you know disappointment with some but I mean it's still earned you know the cast some award nominations and it was based off a of bestseller and so it's like Anything he's done, I would hardly call just an epic misfire. Like, I don't like the Hobbit prequels. They're not anything worthwhile or a good, you know, follow-up after what Rings accomplished. But, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that kind of going in. He was brought back at the last minute. And at the same time, it is better that he came aboard as opposed to them hiring totally different people. And... You know, he didn't want to do it, but then at the same time, he was like, hey, you know, everyone's happy to revisit this world. They still want more of it, so I might as well shut up, you know, enjoy the paycheck and uh, make the, make sure this movie looks good. So, I mean, I can't really fault him on that. And if they ask you, beg you to come back after a while, you might as well just say yes, you know. <laughs> and well, I think. Did you, did you see them in, did you see any of them in the 48 FPS? Uh, no, I've, I've, I've only seen him in the theaters and I, I had to throw, much like with Avatar, I had to throw the 3D glasses off after a while. But um, Yeah, that, I mean, that was odd. And that didn't help because just not being used to it. It's true what they say. It was like kind of everything is so clear that it improved the special effects CGI. But if you looked at the sets and things, it was almost like, you know, a kind of late 80s, early 90s, historical tv production yeah it's like uh, they spent so much on the big voice cast and, it's very and again it, it only needed to be one movie because like movie two that had again it nothing has to be like the book 
It just has to have the best bits and make coherent sense. You know, you're going to have to cut pages and have like, and I was one of those. That was my favorite book. Like I read The Hobbit before I saw Lord of the Rings. And it was one of those, you know, I went back and read Lord of the Rings and then, but it was interesting in that. Yes. Like with this, you know, I was just like, I'm cool with whatever direction you want to go. You want to focus more on Sauron the dragon. You want to focus more on just, again, Bilbo's, you know, tempt with fate and trying to be an unofficial, you know, comrade to these adventuring dwarves who are faced with all this peril. But after a while, it did get to where it's like, yeah, there's so much dead space, bringing all these other established characters back. Again, that just was a cluster for me. I was like, you don't you're just making this way more convoluted than it needs to be and bringing in new characters it's like that really you know there's all these other dwarves you know you could have just worked on those their personas more and more or given gandalf more to do but yeah i mean inevitably you are going to see them and there are worse movies out there but i can't recommend all any of them but even then like compared to so many other filmmakers who, you know, fell from their graces or where people got picky about what they saw by them afterwards, he, he's leagues ahead of them by many aspects, you know? Yeah, and I think in the Hobbit movies, the films and the endorsements, I think if you've and if you've liked, you can get there. And not like the Hobbit is movies, but yeah, the trilogy that's unnecessary, not as good as other stuff because he obviously enjoys. Okay, uh, can you say some that last part again? Yeah, you, I'm sorry, you're, you're breaking up if you talk really fast. <laughs> Hello. Can you hear Is me? Is it coming through? No, it's not coming through. Now, now you are, but <laughs> I've I've closed everything else down. It's come up saying I've got a poor network connection. I don't know why. That's uh, it's probably the world timing. Yeah. Uh, it, it I, just if you could say that last part, just talking about the box sets. Yeah, I got yeah. most of the first part, and then it just kept coming in and out. I just think with the Hobbit movies, for all their flaws and indulgences, like you, if you've sat through everything else he's done and you get to the Hobbit movies, I just think you can sit there and think, well, he's earned that. He's earned right. another bit of time playing with that box of toys. And yeah, we'll give him that. It's not all for me, but he's having some more fun there. Yeah, absolutely. And to see him do that World War One documentary where he made it to where the, you know, c- c- you know, added some CGI to where they interacted with the audience more or made it more of an interactive documentary recreation. That was a cool experiment. And that's definitely, I think, what got him the Beatles gig, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was already a huge fan. He loved the source material and he's wanting to do good things with this technology instead of just, you know blow it on something that you know is just overthought you know overthought or just not the best and he's definitely a rarity because it seemed like for you know the minute anyone did say like a scream or a 
Jurassic Park type blockbuster in the 90s. You you were set for life. You had to do more of that, you know. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, we had to later embrace that, you know, everything was changing and so were the stories and way we made movies. And it just, if you did excess, eventually it just ate up TV and everyone got sick of the same thing after a while. And he, he's been so fortunate to just kind of be able to try doing a few different things and, you know, here and there without having to constantly reprove himself, constantly, you know, show that he's still got it. It's like his work is just so vast that it's like, okay, yeah, he, he can take a break after a while. But yeah, so thank you ever so much for being on here, Kevin. No problem. Uh, well, what do you have coming up that you'd like to promote? <laughs> Oh, I'm really bad at self-promotion. Okay, <laughs> really well, bad. Uh, I do, I do, uh, I do blog every day, a movie review every day. Uh, that is for his man's number, which is uh, over on blogspot.com, I think it is. Um, but Sweet. that's it. Well, very cool. Very cool. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.